my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up, everybody? This is Financial Heresy, where we discuss how many works so that you can make more, keep more, and give more. I've got the biggest guest uh, that I've ever had so far on the show for you today. I'm sure you know him well, Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff uh, got his uh, got his start, his uh, claim to fame when he predicted the great financial crisis years before it started unraveling, and uh, he got his start in business with you know, starting a gold company. He manages mutual funds and assets now. He's all over the place on Twitter and YouTube and podcasts. I'm sure you've heard him talk about the inflation and the Fed and the banking crisis and all of the issues that our country is facing today. We're going to dive into a lot of those issues and talk about actual solutions. So I'm really excited uh, for this conversation for you to hear it with Peter Schiff. Well, thank you so much, Peter Schiff, for joining me today. Very excited to have you on. Uh, one of the uh, one of the biggest voices in um, teaching people what I consider real economics, how money really works. And uh, so we've got a great discussion planned today. I have a few questions, but uh, to, to bring us up to speed on where we are right now, um, the, the mainstream uh, explanation is, hey, we had a pandemic and then that caused supply chain issues and that caused inflation. And then we had a war in Ukraine with Russia and <laughs> now that made inflation stick. And because of all of that, banks are, you know, in trouble. They took some excessive risks and it's, you know, it's obviously not the Fed's fault. It's not the government's fault. That, that's the mainstream. Uh, catch us up to speed on how we got here today in reality. Well, those are a bunch of excuses. And for years, when I was predicting the things that are happening right now with inflation and the banks, I also predicted that the government would come up with a bunch of excuses to blame it on, which is exactly what they've done. So the inflation problem started long before the pandemic. It was exacerbated by the monetary policy response to the pandemic, but the inflation long predates it, right? We, we really started in creating inflation in earnest following the 2008 financial crisis, except they called the quantitative easing. But 
what that is, is a euphemism for inflation. It's the federal central bank printing money and buying government bonds, monetizing debt. That's pretty much what inflation is. And so the government had been inflating uh, for better than a decade. It just took a while for all that inflation to manifest itself the way that it did. And probably a spark was the pandemic lockdowns, which combined the big increase in money supply, which really went you know, into a whole new gear during the pandemic because they started printing money even faster. Um, because QE4, which is what I've been calling the post-pandemic QE, was actually bigger than the first three combined. So a lot of money was printed, but at the same time, the governments around the world ordered people not to work. So people were staying at home and they weren't producing. They should have stopped consuming because they were no longer working, but governments incentivized them to to spend money anyway that they didn't earn by printing it and mailing them checks, stimulus checks or whatever they did. And so that really just, you know, lit a match, you know, on this smoldering uh, kindling for inflation where money supply went way up and good supply went went down. And, you know, the predictable result was a big increase in prices, but the prices were going to go up anyway, based on all the inflation that happened prior to to 2020. But we just really accelerated the process. But so inflation is going to be here for the duration. I mean, it's going to be here for many, many years, if not decades to come, because not only do we have to catch up to all the inflation that's already been created, because I think prices are still lagging the increase in money supply. But the inflation that will be created in the future is actually going to be even greater than what's already been created in the past because the deficits are much larger. And that necessitates a lot more money printing to finance them. And of course, now they've predictably started another financial crisis. Nobody wants to call what's happening a financial crisis because they don't want to uh, invoke comparisons to 2008. But that's exactly what this is. It's another financial crisis, only only worse because it's much bigger. But in order to bail out all these banks, and we've just seen you know the tip of the iceberg when it comes to bank failures. But in order to prevent banks from failing and to bail out the ones that do, the Fed is going to ultimately crank up the printing presses again, and QE5 will be bigger than QE1, 2, 3, and 4 combined. So we could look forward to uh, prices uh, rising far more rapidly and you know much bigger percentage increases in the years ahead than in the years that we've just experienced. You have a book, uh, I believe the title, I might mess this up, is called How Economies Work and Why They Crash. Uh, something well, that's to that how an economy grows and why it crashes. Yeah, why it crashes. Uh, okay, so you illustrate in that book. Um, I believe it's in that book how the there's a like a restaurant and there's a false boom because something comes into the into the city and so he expands and then uh, that was a it was false increased demand and so there's a bust afterwards. Um, yeah, that was basically a simple explanation of a business cycle because the the economic booms and busts are a byproduct of government interference into the economy that sends false economic signals. So the the main interference that we've had in the recent decade or more is artificially low interest rates. And so those low interest rates send out false economic symbol signals to all the people in the economy uh, that are making investments and other decisions that are being distorted because In a free market economy, when interest rates are low, it's because savings are high and it's because uh, households or individuals are preferring to consume in the future, not in the present. And therefore, they're making uh, their incomes available to support capital investment for production for future consumption. But the reality uh, is that Americans had no preference for consumption in the future. There was no real increase in savings. There was just an artificially manipulated decline in interest rates, which caused a lot of 
malinvestments, which are now, you know, blowing up. And the example that I've used of a of restaurant is kind of a simple one. But let's say you own a restaurant and a circus comes into town. And while that circus is there, all of a sudden, there's a lot of customers for your restaurant. And let's say you look at all this demand, all these people wanting to eat in your restaurant, and you think, well, this is great. I better expand. I need, I need more space. So you, you, you rent the, the, the space right next door, and you expand your restaurant. You go out and hire more people because you need more waitresses and waiters. You need more chefs and, and busboys because you have all these customers, right? <laughs> well, you get all this, you, you make all this you know, expansions, and then the circus is over. They pull up stakes and they leave town, and now all that demand is gone. Well, now what do you have to do? Well, I have all this excess space. I need to sublet some of this space. I have too many waiters and, and, and cooks. I need to lay some off, right? So you go, there's a boom and there's a bust. But the only reason there was a boom was because the restaurateur misread those signals. Mm-hmm. He, he, he thought there was a real increase in demand. He didn't realize it was just a temporary circus. So what happened in the U.S. is, you know, the monetary circus comes to town and lots of businesses made investments. You know, banks, you know, in particular funded investments, made loans based on these low interest rates as if, you know, they were here forever. But, you know, the circus had to go and now interest rates are normalizing and that's exposing all the problems. And so banks are failing. Businesses are going to go out of business. Uh, lots of people are going to lose their jobs uh, as a result of the you know, bursting of this bubble. So the money printing, the low interest rates sent false signals that created artificial demand that created an artificial boom. And right now, it seems like we're starting to see the signs of the bust starting, like you said, with the bank failures, the credit crunch, most layoffs in tech since like 2001. So left alone, it seems like we'd have a bust. Do you anticipate even short term any deflation at all? Um, Or do you think they'll step in first and start inflation up again? Well, there will be, you know, to the extent that you're looking at asset prices, they should come down. Um, I don't think consumer good prices are coming down. I think they still have a long way to go up. But I think the Federal Reserve is going to interfere along with the U.S. government in the corrective process by trying to uh, preserve a lot of uh, the bubble-related activities. So prevent businesses that should fail, but trying to keep them afloat to prevent people from losing jobs that they really should lose. Now, of course, when you lose a job that you shouldn't have, that frees you up to go get a different job that that you really should have that is more economically viable. But the politicians don't like that. They don't like people to lose jobs because in the process of getting another one, they may not vote to reelect whoever's in office, you know, when they lose their job. So uh, the politicians want to keep people, you know, in jobs that really are not economically viable. But the way they do all this is through inflation. They print more money. Uh, the Fed might start cutting rates again, you know, back to QE. And, and that will prevent the healthy deflation that, that is a necessary part of the cure. And we just get another dose of the disease, which just sickens the economy even further. Now, we've seen, uh, maybe not to the degree that's coming in the future, but we've seen aspects of this happen for the last you know, 20 years. And so the common mentality is, hey, they kicked the can down the road before. Why can't we just continuously kick the can down the road forever? Like, where does that road run out? Well, I think we, we kind of ran out of road, uh, <laughs> you know, a while ago. Nobody really <laughs> noticed. <laughs> I mean, when, when they really had to go to zero percent interest rates and, you know, it's kind of like an indication that, you know, we kind of had neared the end of it. But I think that probably the peak was the sanctions against Russia. That was probably kind of the beginning of the end of uh, the dollar hegemony and the dollar status as the reserve currency. And, you know, when that goes, the whole, you know, the whole thing goes with it. I mean, the whole phony mm-hmm. economy are artificially uh, propped up standard of living. I mean, America's power is a function of uh, the dollar status. You know, we're, it's kind of like Samson and his and, and his long hair. You know, mm. the world's about to give us a haircut, 
and uh, that's going to be it. You know, we're going to uh, we're going to uh, you know have to deal with reality. Mm. Now, speaking of the dollar, um, when we look at the reserve holdings of dollars around the world and treasuries as well, that's that's one hundred percent. You can see it's clearly on the decline, um, and so the dollars preference globally as a reserve asset is is decreasing. Um, if other nations continue to buy up gold like they're doing, and then maybe even back their money with gold at some point, America has a lot of officially stated has a lot of gold. Is that a parachute for the dollar for America? Is that something that could actually work out to our advantage? Well, I mean, in the long run, uh, it'll be in everyone's advantage to go back to a sound monetary system. And by the way, countries wouldn't be backing their money with gold. Gold is the money. They would be backing their currency with gold. Currency is a substitute for money. You can either have legitimate currency that's backed by money, or you can have fiat currency, which is backed by nothing, which is what we got now. Uh, And that's the system that is in the process of toppling. Because the way the fiat system has worked, you back one fiat currency with another, meaning the US dollar. (laughs) But it doesn't work to back something with something that's in itself has no value. Now, initially, when the world used the dollar as its reserve, the dollar was backed by gold. In fact, it was redeemable on demand in a fixed quantity of gold. $35 got you an ounce of gold. So when a currency was backed by the dollar prior to 1971, it was also backed by gold. And it was the dollar's gold backing that made it the reserve currency. That's why they would say the dollar was as good as gold, because it it, it was effectively until the U.S. defaulted on that obligation. We spoke about that briefly before we started Mm -hmm. uh, to record this, but that that was a major default. Mm -hmm. When they're talking today about, oh, the U.S. government has never defaulted, what do they think 1971 was? Federal Reserve notes were promises to pay gold. That was our obligation. You have 35 uh, Federal Reserve notes we will give you a dollar's worth of gold. That's, you know, based on this, you know, legal definition of how much uh, gold uh, defined a dollar. Hmm. So that was our commitment. And we defaulted. We told the holders of our notes, we're not going to give you what we promised. We're going to give you nothing. You have our notes. We're not going to give you any gold. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, that was a complete default on what we ha- had, were obligated to pay, you know, mm-hmm. so that we do have a history of defaulting. So if we did it again, it would not be without precedent. It'd just be just a different type of default. Do you think if the United States defaulted on its current debt, maybe because of the debt ceiling issue right now or something else uh, in the future, do you think that in the long run, that would actually be the healthier option? Because that's a, an outright default rather than pretending like we're not defaulting, but we're still doing it through inflation. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, 
offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing. And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Yeah, it would be much better if the U.S. government honestly defaulted on the debts rather than doing it dishonestly, which is what they're going to do through inflation, because there is no way to honestly repay the debt. The debt is unpayable because the American public doesn't have the the ability to pay the taxes that would be necessary to repay the debt. I mean, in fact, if you look at the numbers right now, in order to balance the budget, they would have to cut about a third of government spending right now. A Hmm. third of the government would have to go away. And I think with rising interest rates, by the end of the year or next year, you may have to cut 50% of the government to balance the budget. In order to square the books and balance the budget, you would have to double everybody's tax. But that wouldn't pay off any of the debt. All that would do would stop us from going even deeper into debt. Hmm. To actually pay off the debt would require tax increases that are completely impossible. Uh, In fact, it would even be impossible to raise taxes high enough to balance the budget let alone pay off a $31, $32 trillion national debt. So the only way out of the debt is to inflate it away. You know, and a lot of people say, oh, we never have to repay our debt. That's nonsense. I mean, then it would be stealing. You know, you can't say that you can borrow money and never have to pay it back because that assumes that the lenders are willing to lend money and never get it back. What lender would do that? Now, what we say as well, Yes, we have to pay back the current lenders, but we do that by borrowing more money from future lenders. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it's a giant Ponzi scheme that we're counting on. (laughs) We're counting on there always to be a greater fool willing to loan a bankrupt nation money so that it can repay its creditors, hoping that there'll be another fool, even dumber, that will loan an even more bankrupt government even more money to pay you off, right? So this whole thing has to implode at some point, either through inflation or default. Default is better, better for everybody. It's actually even better for the lenders because they'll end up salvaging more. Because if we defaulted on the debt, it wouldn't be like you get nothing. I mean, there would be some type of restructuring where hey, maybe you get 30 cents on the dollar. That's better than getting 100 cents on the dollar, where the dollar loses 90% of its value, that's like getting 10 cents in terms of purchasing power. And in fact, I think if we uh, you know, restructured now and basically admitted that we're broke and didn't raise the debt ceiling and dealt with the problem, right? If you listen to the way the politicians are framing the debt ceiling, they keep saying America always pays its bills. So we need to raise the debt ceiling because we pay our bills. That's the opposite of what's true. Mm. We never pay our bills. That's why we have all this debt. We have almost $32 trillion of unpaid bills. That's the national debt. The reason we want to raise the debt ceiling is so we can continue to not pay our bills and instead run up more debt. 
My solution would be leave the debt ceiling where it is and let's start paying our bills. Now, the first uh, thing that we have to do is admit that we can't pay our bills because there's too many. We can't do it. We're broke. So we have to cut stuff. And I don't think bondholders should be absolved uh, for sharing in the pain. After all, they were dumb enough to loan America all this money. Why should they get it all back? Mm. Right. I mean, we're broke. Uh, But everybody should have to bear some of the cuts. Social Security, Medicare, uh, national defense, uh, pensions. I mean, government has to cut across the board. Mm -hmm. You know, I I would rather see government cut spending than increase taxes. Uh, But if they have to increase taxes, unfortunately, they have to do that. Um, But, you know, the taxes are already pretty high on a lot of people. So what we need is a sales tax. You know, we need to tax people that aren't paying taxes. Right. The people that are, you know, that they need it. They need a you know national sales tax or something. But we have to find a way uh, to 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 balance the books. And yes, you know, maybe if we default and we only give people 30 cents on the dollar, our credit rating will go down. Uh, and, um, you know, it, fine, because we're going to balance the books. We're not going to be <laughs> borrowing. But, you know, I would rather loan money to the U.S. government after a default than before. Mm-hmm they're probably going to be in better shape. There's no way I'm going to loan money to the U.S. government now because I know I'm never going to get it back based on their fiscal position. Either they're going to default the way I'm suggesting or they're going to inflate. But either way, I'm a loser. But if we actually do the right thing now and restructure the debt, we're actually a much better credit risk. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, you, know, you think about this in real life. After somebody declares bankruptcy, Sometimes, you know, it's safer to loan them money because they can't do it again. They just did it. You can't like, you know, uh, whereas, you know, before they declare bankruptcy, you run the risk of being discharged. Uh, So I think it would be better for all parties. But, you know, if we end up, you know, wiping out our debts through inflation. See, the problem with that is that it doesn't just affect the bondholders. It affects everybody, even the people that weren't dumb enough to buy U.S. government bonds. Anybody who has U.S. dollars is going to be affected by by that. So if we just defaulted and bondholders ended up with fewer dollars, the other dollars that remained would be more valuable. So if you didn't own any U.S. government bonds, if you just had dollars stuffed under your mattress, those dollars would actually hold on to their value. They may even gain value. But if we just print a bunch of money because we don't have the guts to default, then all dollars lose value, not just the dollars that are owed to our creditors who have treasuries, but all the dollars that are stuffed under your mattress. They get they lose value, too. You know, everybody uh, suffers. It's a basically a socialization of the losses. But inflation ends up hurting most the people who could at least afford to, to bear the burden. And that's the working poor, the middle class. Uh, they lose a lot more than, than the rich. So it's been said that inflation is a wealth transfer from the poor to the rich. Can you explain how and why that happens? Yeah, well, it's also, you know, it's a it's a transfer from creditors to debtors. Mm. And, you know, and, and not necessarily debtors the way, let's say, the poor would have debt. It's not like, you know, you have credit card debt or something or a car loan, because when you borrow money to suspend it, you don't get a productive asset. You get a depreciating asset. You don't get any income. But if you're rich and you've gone into debt to accumulate income producing assets, then inflation wipes out your debt and leaves you with the asset. And, 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 and now you own the asset and whoever loaned you the money to buy it, you know, he, his, his, his uh, loan is diminished in value. You pay him back with depreciated currency. Uh, so people who borrow money to accumulate assets are, are enriched by inflation. But the savers, the lenders, and you know, middle class, if you just have money in a bank account, I mean, you got a fixed annuity or you got pension or you got some type of uh, guaranteed income from savings, you, you, you suffer. You see the value of those savings diminished. But the way it also impacts the poor is if you look at the prices that are probably most impacted they're things like food, you know, energy, you know, you know, shelter. The, the basic necessities are prices that are likely to rise the most. Now, if you're pretty poor, maybe half your income 
goes to your rent, your energy, your food, maybe more, maybe more than half your income. Maybe you, know, maybe, maybe you might be spending half your income just on rent, you know? Yeah. So, um, whereas if you're very wealthy, maybe 10%, 5%, 1% of your income goes for those things, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so your standard of living is not impacted. The price of food doubles. It's a nuisance. Maybe you look at the bill and you say, God, this thing, you know, I can't believe this is a hundred bucks. A couple of years ago, it was 50, right? When you're, you know, eating steak at a restaurant, mm-hmm. but it's not like you're not going to go to a restaurant. You know, you just notice that maybe it costs more, but it, it doesn't impact you because your overall restaurant bill is such a small part of your budget, but you double the price of steak. A lot of people can't afford to eat it anymore. Certainly not in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, 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 the way it impacts people, it's much worse. That's why I would rather raise taxes that would affect everybody uh, as opposed to just raising inflation, which so disproportionately hits some people. The reason I said earlier, we need a sales tax. Everybody would pay the sales tax. And I know it might fall fall harder uh, on the the, the poorer middle class. But the problem is if you try to raise the income tax, the wealthy are already paying so much in income taxes. There's not much room to tax them anymore because you'll end up getting less revenue. They won't work anymore. I mean, you know, I mean, there are plenty of businessmen that are already paying more than 50 percent of their income in tax. I mean, you yeah. can't get much more out of that. That's, that's you know, uh, I mean, it just backfires, you know, where you are on the on the laugher curve. But the best thing we could do to relieve the burden of government from the public is to cut government spending. And then a lot of people that are now getting checks from the government will have to go do something productive in order to earn money. Uh, and if people are productively working, and earning money, that's good. That benefits everybody. Uh, but if they're just living off the government, you know, that, then they're living off of the expense of somebody. They're a burden on somebody else who has to support them. I'm sure the national sales tax would be a painful adjustment, especially for some, but it does flip the incentives in the system because when you produce something, you get income to have that taxed, it disincentivizes that. But if you're taxing consumption, then you're disincent you're actually incentivizing savings, which produces more wealth long term. Yeah, I, I mean I'd like to have this national sales tax, you know, the some people fair tax as a replacement for the income tax. I mean, I know like if we just have a sales tax and keep the income tax, you know, that's not a good thing. We're all just going to pay more taxes. But the problem isn't that the government isn't taxing us enough. They're, they're taxing us plenty. They're just spending too much. Right. Um, and, and, but, but if they are going to spend this much, if that's the deal, then they have to raise our taxes. Mm-hmm. But politicians don't want to level with the voters and tell them how much all this government actually costs. Because the people might not want it if they realize they have to pay for it. It's only because they think the lunch is free that they want to eat it. Right. If they saw the price tag, they would say, no, thank you. Right. I'll, I'll make my own lunch. I, I, I can't afford this free government lunch. It's too expensive. Right. Right. All right. So bo- between if we look at the 40s and the 70s, between those two time periods, there are some similarities that we see today, whether it's you know big government, debt to GDP ratio, um, high inflation. Uh, are those uh, false comparisons or and because we pulled through those seemingly just fine, um, are there any lessons we can learn for how to uh, how, how to deal with things this time? Well, there's a lot of lessons, but unfortunately, the government never learns them. I mean, the, the government just doubles down on its mistakes and repeats them on a on a, on a grander scale. You know, that that's it. I mean, you'd have thought they'd have learned something from the 2008 financial crisis that they created. I mean, I laid it out years in advance. I explained exactly the mistakes they were making and what the consequences would be. And it pretty much went down the way I said it would. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they didn't follow any of my uh, advice for what to do. They just doubled down on the mistakes and inflated a bigger bowl. And now we're just in the early stages of experiencing uh, the consequences, which are are far worse. And, you know, I also talked about, you know, after COVID, I mean, one of the reasons that the American economy was so ill prepared for COVID was because of government policy. I mean, what we needed to go through COVID was a lot of savings. You know, if we really wanted to lock down the economy, we needed to exist off of our savings. 
we needed to have a rainy day fund, right? It was pouring rain, but we had no rainy day fund, you know, because we spent it all when the sun was shining and then some. So we got into COVID with massive debt. Right. And, and so we were not in a position to, to weather that storm. Uh, but again, you know, the government didn't have to do that. That was, you know, a mistake. You know, they completely overreacted to COVID. We never should have had any of those lockdowns. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, the smart thing would have been to advise, you know, older people who are in ill health that have all these uh other conditions that could be aggravated by COVID, yeah, they should have stayed home. They should have stayed, you know, uh, away while the rest of us, uh, you know, just caught the disease and got over it. I mean, I, you know, I mean, everybody got it anyway. Right. <laughs> despite all the lockdowns. I mean, I know people that got it several times despite the lockdowns and triple vaccinations. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, right. I only got one vaccine and I only got it once. <laughs> so. <laughs> And I, but I got it after I was vaccinated, not before. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> but right. now they're trying to tell us, well, it's a good thing you had the vaccine because it would have been much worse. Of course. Really? How do we know? <laughs> I don't know what, how it would have been if I didn't have the vaccine. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that uh, over the last couple of years has become somewhat mainstream is, uh, is the discussion of Bitcoin versus gold. Um, so outline for us really quickly, um, if you could, what, what you think people perceive the similarities of gold and Bitcoin and then the differences. Well, the similarities exist only in the minds of uh, the people who you know, are immersed in, in, in Bitcoin and have a, a vested interest in its success because they own it. Um, and the similarities that people believe exist between gold and Bitcoin, you know, were deliberately cultivated by the promoters of Bitcoin because Bitcoin was developed and marketed to be a digital version of gold. Hmm. And gold was money for thousands of years. And it was money because it satisfied the conditions of money better than other commodities that, that, that were used as money or that could have been used as money. And those conditions had to do with fungibility. One ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. So if I borrow an ounce of gold from you and I have to pay it back, as long as I give you an ounce of gold, you don't have to worry that it's, it's any different. Mm -hmm. That's not the case if, if, you know, cattle was money. Well, if you loan me a cow and I pay you back a cow, I mean, it could be completely different. They sure. could, it could weigh different, you know, a different age, you know, or what if you loan me a diamond? I can't just give you back any old diamond. I mean, it may not be nearly as valuable as the one you loaned me. It had different cut, different clarity, different carat weight, all this stuff. But if you won't loan me gold, gold is all the same. And the same thing with prices. I can price something. This is uh, a, a 10 grams of gold. It doesn't matter. You have 10 grams of gold. I don't have to look at it to make sure it's the right. It's all the same. Right? Gold is gold. And you can divide gold up uh, into very small uh, quantities. Uh, so, you know, it, it worked. It's very portable. There's a lot of value in one place. So it worked a lot better as money than, you know, than cattle or salt, you know, the Indians used wampum, you know, beads, you know, things have, you know, have been have been money. Um, but coins, gold made made very good money. And so Bitcoin people basically said, hey, look, you could divide Bitcoin. Bitcoin is fungible. Bitcoin is portable. Uh, Bitcoin is divisible, right? All this stuff, all these things that gold has, you can do the same thing with Bitcoin, right? And when they try to represent Bitcoin in, in a physical form, even though it has no physical form because it doesn't exist physically, they depict Bitcoin as a coin. In fact, it's called Bitcoin, even though there's no coin there, right? It, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's digital. It's a string of digital numbers. It's not a, it's not a coin, Mm -hmm. But they represent it as if it were a coin and they make the color gold. So they make Bitcoin look like it's this gold coin. But it's not. It's it's nothing. It's a it's a again, it's a it's a digital token that represents a string of numbers that are created as a result of solving a, a mathematical problem. 
that you know, takes a lot of computational power and consumes a lot of energy in order to solve this meaningless problem to get that string of numbers. But it is not digital gold, you know, no more than digital food is food or, you know, a, a digital house is a house. I mean, you know, you can, you can create a digital version of an apple that looks like an apple, but I can't eat it. It's like I don't have any taste. It doesn't give me any nourishment. If I had a diet of digital food, I'd starve to death. Mm. Right now, you know, but digital gold, gold is a commodity. What made gold money was that it was a useful metal that people wanted, people needed. And it's a great store of value because you don't have to use your gold right away. You can store it or you can make jewelry out of it and you can store it that way because you can melt it down in a thousand years and use it to conduct electricity or do anything you need with it. I mean, gold is the most useful, valuable metal on the periodic table, apart from the fact that we use it as money. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Uh, but Bitcoin doesn't have any of the physical properties that makes gold so valuable. None of them, you can't, there's no circumstance in the real world where you could use Bitcoin as a replacement for gold. Now that's not the case with other things that are digital. You know, and, and, and this is what a lot of these crypto guys don't get, but they say, well, they have digital books, they have digital music, yes, because digital music works. I could listen to digital music and I can sing along to it, I can enjoy it, I can dance to it because I can get the sound. I don't need to have a vinyl record album. It's another way that I can hear the music. Uh, you know, the same thing with a book. I, I don't need a physical book with, you know, bound pieces of paper. I can read a digital book. I can get the same utility, you know, because I'm reading the words. Mm -hmm. But just like I said with food, that's not the same thing. Just because music can be digital, food can't. Shelter can't. Transportation can't. If I want to actually go someplace, I need a real car. I can't get there in a digital car, right? Maybe I can get someplace in some digital make-believe world. But if I actually want to go someplace, I need real transportation, right? Mm -hmm. and, right. and so that's what some of these Bitcoin guys don't get. They think, oh, you know, I, I don't understand the value of, uh, of, 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 of a digital intangible. Of course I do. I just know the difference when there is value and there's not. And... Gold has to be real. If you want to make jewelry, you need actual gold. 
If you want to conduct electricity, you need actual gold. If you need gold for dentistry or aerospace or medicine or any of the things they use gold for, you need the actual stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't settle for some digital version that has none of its actual physical properties. And, and so Bitcoin doesn't have any real value. And because it doesn't have any value, it can't be a store of value because you can't store what you don't have. Bitcoin has a price. And these Bitcoin guys don't seem to get the difference between price and value. You know, and that's it, there's a big difference. You know, Warren Buffett always said price is what you pay. Mm. Value is what you get right now. If you buy Bitcoin, you're going to pay twenty eight thousand dollars, but you're going to get no value. Now, does that mean you can't sell it to some greater fool in the future for more than twenty eight thousand dollars? No, you might be able to (laughs) as long as that fool is there and has the money to pay you. Mm -hmm. But none of these greater fool uh, based Ponzi's pyramids work out in the long run. You run out of fools, the fools run out of money, and the whole system implodes. And that's what's going to happen to Bitcoin and the 21, 22,000. I haven't checked uh, coin market cap lately to see how many uh, of these uh, crypto tokens exist right now. Uh, but uh, the supply is limitless because they keep on creating them. So the uh, the intrinsic value, uh, or uh, in other words, the use value of gold um, provides provides some value other than its use as money. The uh, the the marginal, I believe it's a marginal utility theory of value, uh, states that all value is subjective in nature, just based on people's wants and needs. So, is use value necessary for something? Uh, uh, to, to be money? Like, do you, it, does there have to be yeah, like an intrinsic I, you know, case? When you're talking about that type of value, it's, you know, the value that somebody places on a particular item. And that's going to vary from person to person um, and, and, and circumstances, you know, that you're in. I mean, water is very valuable if you're dying of thirst and there's very little around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas under normal circumstances, you know, there's water around. And so it's, you know, you're not going to value it that much, even though you need it. But there's a difference between value and price. You know, again, people may assign a value to something for whatever reason, and, 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 and therefore they're willing to pay a particular price uh, to obtain that. But I'm talking about an underlying value that is real. And yes, you know, the value could be different from one person to another. I mean, let's say a particular type of food. You know, you know, let's let's say I like black licorice quite a bit. Right. Most people hate it for some reason, but I really love black licorice. So black licorice is more valuable to me. Because I like it, hmm. and to somebody who doesn't like it, I mean, if you don't like it, you know, you, you know, you, I probably couldn't even pay you to eat it. Um, I mean, what would you pay for black licorice? Probably not much, you know. Although you might, if you think you could sell it to a guy like me. But I mean, I obviously am more interested now. If you were starving, you know, you, you might be willing to buy it because that's the only food you had to eat, and it was better than starvation, right? But you know, so different people. But the fact that licorice has some value can't be denied. I mean, it is, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's food, you can eat it, right? So there's some value there, even though some Mm -hmm. people may value it more than others. Now, you know, something like Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't have any value that you can, you can point on for sure. I mean, yes, people believe that other people will value it. And because they believe that they're willing to buy it. But you strip away all that belief and there is nothing there that, that, that you could say is real beyond that belief. And so if all of your market value, your price is a function of a belief system, people simply believe it. This has value because I believe it has value. I know I can't use it for anything, but I don't care because I believe it has value. And look, other people believe it has value too, right? How do you know that those beliefs are going to continue indefinitely? What if some of the people who believe in it stop believing in it? You know, then what? Mm -hmm. You know, 
something like gold, nobody has to believe that gold has value. You could deny it has value and it still has value because it's objective. You know, I mean, yes, gold is a metal. Here are the things that gold can do. All these things have value. Uh, and if you want to deny that and say, well, no, that's all subjective, right? I, 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 I don't value conducting electricity. Well, I mean, it's, it's nonsense to say that conductors of electricity have no value when electricity is such a big part of everything we do. You know, so, uh, you know, so this, this, yeah. I think now you have all these Bitcoin guys who are trying to find ways to justify the value of Bitcoin by saying nothing has value. Mm-hmm. Right? Nothing has any real value. So why not just value Bitcoin? Because everything else is all, it's all subjective. It's all make believe. It's all it's all based on perception. Right. There's nothing real. It's all what we perceive. And, that, and that's BS. What about what about what would you say about its use as uh, like an electronic payments network like Venmo or the Cash App or PayPal? Um, Bitcoin being used like is that not like use use value? No, because I could use PayPal. It's a lot easier to use PayPal and Venmo. It's a lot cheaper. It's a lot faster than Bitcoin. Uh, and at least I'm paying with something that is more stable. You know, long term, sure, you're using dollars. They're, they're losing their value, maybe a half a percent a month, one percent a month. Uh, but that's not fast, so fast that I can't conduct commerce in it. I can't, you know, have a price, you know, and just raise it every once in a while. But Bitcoin is way too volatile to price anything in. And it's way too expensive to use as a medium of exchange. So it's just, why would you do that? There's the, and, and in fact, nobody uses Bitcoin for that. I mean, not nobody. There's a tiny percentage of people with Bitcoin that are actually, you know, exchanging them for goods or services. But the vast majority of Bitcoin are just hoarded by speculators. They don't use them uh, as the medium of exchange. They, they gamble on them. They buy because they think the price is going to go up. The last thing they would do is part with their precious Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, right. they, don't, they don't want to spend it. No, they're going to get rich holding it. Uh, so that's what's going, going on with it. I mean, to the extent that you really want a digital alternative to fiat currencies and you want to improve on the properties of gold and make gold more fungible, more portable, more divisible, and even better uh, medium of exchange, then you just create one of these cryptocurrencies and you back it by gold. <laughs> then it works. The cryptocurrency represents a, uh, you know, an ownership interest. You've, you take an ounce of gold and you tokenize it and now the tokens can uh, circulate in the economy as a money substitute, as a digital currency that derives its value from the gold that is backing it up. And now you have something real, something reliable, something that you can use as a store of value, a unit of account, and a medium of exchange. It will work. But of course, the crypto community is not interested in something that will work. They just want to get rich quick. <laughs> and, and so that's why all these uh, 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 tokens are so popular. People think they're going to get rich. Last question. In today's day and age, we have a lot of uncertainty, obviously, you know, recently bank failures in the future, inflation, maybe hyperinflation, who knows? Um, gold has maintained its purchasing power for, you know, as long as we can, as long as we can track it uh, back in time. And right now it seems like um, gold miners may be a, uh, a very profitable uh, industry sector to be in uh, for the future. And you have a, a management company, an asset management company with a gold mining fund. Would you, would you say that's the most exciting place you're looking at to make money in, in the near future or something else right now? Well, I mean, if you're willing to uh, take on risk, I think the mining sector is going to offer the biggest uh, gains um, just like in the 1970s, if we get the type of move in gold that I envision, because I think gold's going to be remonetized. I think gold is very cheap right now in relation to where it needs to be in order for gold to be remonetized. So I think that you're going to see a, a big increase in the price of gold. Now, you're going to see an increase in the price of everything, not just gold. So gold's not going up in a vacuum. But I think gold's going to go up quite a bit more than a lot of other commodities. So, you know, right now, gold's $2,000 an ounce. 
you know, let's say it's $10,000 an ounce. It has a 5X increase. That in and of itself is a pretty big gain. Mm-hmm. But I think if gold goes up 5X, you're going to see gold mining stocks going up 20X, 50X. Some of them will go up 100X. Um, and so there's a lot of bang for your buck if you get this kind of move in the price of gold, especially if the cost of mining gold doesn't go up nearly as much, right? If the cost of mining it went up five times too, you know, it wouldn't be as big a gain, right? If, uh, but I think gold is going to go up more than you know, the input costs involved in, in, in mining it. And, and so I think that there's going to be a lot of money made in, uh, in this sector, which is why we have exposure to it. And even my value strategy uh, has some exposure to mining stocks, but I have a strategy that is 100% focused on mining. I have a gold strategy and I have a mutual fund, which is all you know, gold stocks. And uh, so if you want to try to make a lot of money, off of you know a collapsing dollar and inflation, uh, that's the way to do it. You know, I mean, you got to be willing to risk because you know gold stocks are a risky business. You know, there you know there's a lot of things that can go wrong, and uh, you know, and maybe the price of gold won't do what I think it's going to do. Uh, but you know, most of the money that we invest for clients is not in gold stocks. It's in uh, you know basic businesses that pay good dividends, that we buy stocks at good value. These are also great inflation hedges. They're great dollar hedges, but they're not dependent on the price of gold for their success. So, you know, we can make a lot of money in these foreign stocks and the emerging market stocks that I'm buying, even if nothing bad happens here. There's a lot of investment value in the stocks that we're buying, even if nothing bad happens in the United States. But, you know, I, I think something bad is happening and it's about to get a lot worse. And I think it's going to benefit uh, this sector. So everybody, I think, to the extent that you have some risk capital, should have some exposure uh, to gold and gold mining companies. How much, you know, depends on you know your your risk tolerance and and, and how much you have to invest. Peter Schiff, it has been an honor. Um, you're everywhere on the internet. I'm going to have your Twitter handle linked in the show notes, your YouTube channel, podcast. You've got uh, www.europack.com has your wealth management, asset management. Um, and then your mutual funds are also available at all the discount uh, brokers as yep. well, correct? You can you can get all the t- information, all the tickers you know, off the website, europack.com and look at the funds. And you can either buy them at a discount broker. In fact, if you want to start small, you can buy them directly from the fund on that website. There's a way to just buy the funds. Or you can talk to the rep representative. There's a phone number on the top of the rep website. You can call and talk to one of the reps. We also have a, a, a wrap account where we manage you in a portfolio of my funds. And if you're a larger investor, we have separately managed accounts where we manage your portfolio of individual stocks. So you're not in funds at all. You're just owning the individual stocks. And if people want actual physical metal, go to shiftgold.com. Absolutely. And that's the best way to have metal is to take possession. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll ship it to you and yeah, at a good price. You know, it's, uh, we got the best prices and we don't try to, um, you know, bait and switch you into these uh, collectible or proof sets or other kind of gimmicks where the sales people end up charging a lot of money for no reason. And then, you know, instead of having more gold in your pocket, you just put more you know, commission in their pocket. So, you know, we, we don't sell any of those types of products. You know, I won't, I won't let the, the, the guys at Shift Gold do that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a fantastic conversation. We'd love to have you back on sometime and I really appreciate your time. All right, great. Thanks a lot. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home? Take a deep breath. 
and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.